BRT. Good evening. Thank you for joining us tonight for this special Halloween broadcast, live from KBRT Studio on October 31st, 1948, for another of our radio theater productions. On this most frightening of nights, we're thrilled to present to you a most shocking tale, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. There's a few other key players I wish to introduce to you. Martin Shell, a regular in our radio dramas, is back as Frankenstein's monster. Playing our heroine this evening, a fresh face straight from our sister station over at KTNT, Catherine Cates, a woman of many talents and many voices, we welcome back Nellie Kingsley. And what would a KBRT drama be without the incomparable Ronnie Sullivan? And you ladies will recognize this last voice, our very own King of Folk here at the station, Phil Cotton. And I'm Harvey Towers. Tonight, I will be giving you a break from my normal newscasting to play Victor Frankenstein. This evening's drama is brought to you by our special sponsors, Hal Paisley's Hardware and Dougal Music Warehouse. They, along with all of us at KBRT, hope you'll enjoy this evening's production. Let's set the mood, shall we? Check to make sure the house is locked up tight. Turn down the lights. Light a single candle and hold your precious ones close. If the sugar doesn't keep the little ones up tonight, this scary tale certainly will. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. We begin our story in the waters of the far north in the late 18th century. English captain Robert Walton is leading a seafaring expedition out of Russia, looking for a northern passage to the Pacific. The ship has stalled, stuck between giant sheets of ice. Far from any sort of civilization, they are alone, isolated in the frozen sea waters that surround the North Pole. Lieutenant, who are those sailors talking to? Did someone fall overboard? A man in a sled pulled by dogs, Captain Walton. Well, only one dog, Captain. The others seem to have perished. The crewmen have convinced him to abandon his vehicle and come aboard. Here is our captain. He will not allow you to perish on the open sea. Before I come aboard your ship, Will you have the kindness to inform me where you are bound? We're on a voyage towards the North Pole. Thank you for your assistance. I should be happy to accompany you- <sighs> Sir, he has fainted. His limbs are nearly frozen. Quickly, men. Bring him inside near the fire. Lieutenant, bring warm blankets from your cabin. Where? Where am I? Sir, I'm happy to hear you speak. It has been two days since you fainted on our deck. Do you remember meeting me? I'm the captain of the ship. My name is Robert Walton. I can assure you, you are in good care. I moved you to my personal cabin. You must be great, kind people to care for a stranger you found stranded on the ice. Well, these two days you have been prone to feverish fits. Gnashing your teeth while you slept, you have had all the men on board excited and curious. I feel so inhuman to have troubled you with such inquisitiveness... So please do not feel that you must answer. You rescued me from a strange and perilous situation, and you are restoring me to life. I will listen to your question. Why have you come so far on the ice in such a strange vehicle? To seek one who fled from me. And this man traveled in the same way? Yes. Then we must have seen him. The day before we picked you up, we saw some dogs drawing a sled with a man in it across the ice. Which way was the demon headed? What time of day did you see him? Is your ship headed? Uh... 
Ugh. Don't exert yourself, please. Stay in bed. You are far too weak to bear the rawness of the outside air. Unfortunately, our ship is trapped between sheets of ice. We have been unable to go north or south. The sled did look to be headed toward the pass to the north. I see. Captain, I have a very important question. I need your sincerest honesty. Do you think there is any chance the breaking up of the ice has destroyed the other sled? I can't say for certain. The ice broke near midnight. The traveler might have arrived at a safe place before then. Will you have your men watch for any signs of him or the sled? Until I am recovered and can look for myself? Yes, I will tell them. I realize I haven't revealed my own name. I am Victor Frankenstein. I really cannot thank you enough for your kindness. Tell me, Captain Walton, where should you and your ship go when you can break free? Should you continue your journey north? It seems dangerous for you and your crew if you were to be stranded again further north. Dangerous, yes, but this was my dream. I cannot give up on it. I don't know why that I feel I can be so open with you, Victor. You have a wisdom about you that I can't explain. It puts me remarkably at ease. You know, I regret that at my age I have never had a friend. I, too, feel an unexplainable closeness to you. I had all but given up hope on my chances of ever having another friend or companion. Victor, this ship, this exploration, this is my obsession. I would sacrifice my fortune, my existence, my every hope for this journey. One man's life or death are truly a small price for the knowledge that I seek, for the truth that I should uncover. Oh, unhappy man! Do you share my madness? Have you drunk also of the intoxicating drink? Hear me. Let me share my tale and you will dash the cup from your lips. You have hope. The world before you. I have lost everything. I cannot begin life anew. I had decided at one time to let the memory of these evils die with me. But I see you seeking knowledge and wisdom as I once did. Exposing yourself to the same dangers which have left me as I am, and I feel that I must share these lessons with you. Well, surely what has ever happened to you is not irreversible. My fate is nearly fulfilled. Victor, it would be my greatest pleasure to hear your story, if you'll tell it to me. I was born in Geneva, Switzerland, to loving and distinguished parents. They were the very spirit of kindness and indulgence. Until I was five, I was their only child. It was then, while traveling in Italy, that my mother brought home Elizabeth. My mother was giving charity to the poor one day when she discovered five hungry children around a table, one of which did not belong. While four of the children had dark hair and eyes, this little girl's hair was like gold, and her eyes were a cloudless blue. The mother of the children told my mother that the little girl was an orphan that she nursed and cared for. My mother offered to take her into our family's care, and thus Elizabeth Lavenza came to live with us. We called each other by the name of cousin, but no word or expression could describe the kind of relation she was to me. We were less than a year apart in age, and the contrast in our character only brought us closer in companionship. I had another great companion, too. A schoolmate, who was the son of a merchant, Henry Clerval. Henry was deeply read in chivalry and romance and loved adventure and even danger for its own sake. My own passions were turned towards an eager desire to learn the secrets of heaven and earth, to balance us out 
There was Elizabeth, a saint, with a spirit of love whose gentleness subdued my roughness and influenced Henry's ambitions. My obsession with the natural sciences only intensified with age. I learned that my parents had resolved that at the age of 17 I would be sent to be a student at the University of Ingolstadt in Germany. A few months before I left, a series of events would change the course of my life forever. I knew I would find you in here, Victor. Breeding, of course, our scholar. Who is it this time? Cornelius Agrippa again? No, not Agrippa this time. Dear cousin, it is Sir Isaac Newton's writings on alchemy. Is that the Philosopher's Stone, then? In a sense. Why not stick to the studies you're given at school? You know very well they don't satisfy me on my favorite subjects. I must be self-taught, so I am prepared for when I leave for the university. Could you imagine the glory if I were to discover the elixir of life, banish disease from the human frame, and render man invulnerable to any but a violent death? I didn't realize it was storming. The wind is picked up. If you're in one of the outer rooms of the house, it howls. Well, I can put down my book to watch nature's excitement. Come with me. We can watch the door. Oh, I don't know, Victor. Storms worry me. I think I would like to go back inside. Go on, I'll be right behind you. Isn't it fascinating? Aren't you simply mesmerized with the sheer power of nature? If we could just learn to, as humans, control that power... Incredible! Did you see that stream of fire? Oh, Victor, it's at our oak tree! It's destroyed! It's completely obliterated. Look, Elizabeth. It's nothing but a stump. Not splintered, just thin pieces of wood left. <coughs> Come, Victor. <coughs> I don't want to stand out here <coughs> anymore. <coughs> Let's go back inside where it's... <coughs> <laughs> Safe. <laughs> Please. <coughs> yes, we will go in now. Elizabeth, are you all right? Elizabeth grew severely sick. It was scarlet fever. My mother insisted on attending to her favorite despite our arguments. Elizabeth was saved, but on the third day, my mother took sick. On her deathbed, she called Elizabeth and me to her side. Caroline, our children, Elizabeth and Victor, are here to see you. Thank you, my sweet husband. Come in, darlings. My children. My hopes of future happiness were dependent on your union in marriage. It was always your mother's wish. Elizabeth, my love, you must take my place as guardian to my younger children. To Ernest and baby William, and also to little Justine Moritz. The poor child treated just horribly by her own mother. So clever and gentle, I know she adores you, her protectress. Well, she was so much more than a servant here. I would like you to continue with her studies, Elizabeth. I intend for her to get a good education. I will. I don't know if I will do it as gracefully as you. I am so sad to be taken from you. As happy and loved as my life has been, is it not hard to quit you all? No, these thoughts are not fitting. I will go cheerfully to death. I will think of my hope of meeting you in another world. 
it felt like sacrilege to leave the house of mourning so soon. It was my first experience with grief. My departure for school in Germany had been postponed already, and so, after a few weeks in which I surrounded myself with the love and comfort of Elizabeth, I said goodbye to my friends and family. Victor, I wish I were going with you. I wish too, Henry. My best friend at the university with me would have made it perfect. I know you wanted to go. I tried to persuade my father. He's so narrow-minded. I don't care to be a merchant like him. I don't understand why he can't see that. He swears my desired path will lead me to ruin. I don't see you giving up so quickly. It's not like you. You'll come up with some way of achieving your dream. Be safe, cousin. We will all miss you. Justine has been inconsolable. Ernest hides it, but I know he misses you already. You must write often. You're going to be wonderful, Victor. You're so smart and studious. You'll be recognized immediately for your hard work and knowledge. I just know it. Have you really spent your time studying such nonsense? Every minute. Every instant you have wasted on those books is utterly and entirely lost. To find a disciple of Cornelius Agrippa or Albertus Magnus in this enlightened and scientific age, good God! In what desert land have you lived where no one was kind enough to inform you that these fancies you have studied are a thousand years old and as musty as they are ancient? You must begin your studies entirely anew. You'll study natural philosophy with me Tuesdays and Thursdays and chemistry with Professor Waldman on the alternate days. If you hurry now, you will catch his first lecture. He's been out of town, but he returned today. Thank you, Professor Kremke. I'll hurry. So, class, I've covered in brief the history of chemistry and the present state of science. I want to leave you with this today. The ancient teachers of science promised impossibilities and performed nothing. The modern masters promise very little. They know that metals cannot be transformed, and that the elixir of life is but a fantasy. But they have indeed performed miracles. They have entered the recesses of nature and shown how she works. They have discovered how blood circulates. They can command the thunders of heaven, mimic the earthquake, and even mock the invisible world with its shadows. I will see you all next week. Professor Waldman? Yes, my boy. It's Frankenstein, isn't it? I was told you would be joining us next week. Well, I just barely made it in time to hear your lecture. I am so glad I did what you said about the ancient teachers of science and the modern method. Well, I feel so behind. I admit I know little of modern chemists. I had only studied the ancient philosophers. I was just told by Professor Kremke that that was all time wasted. They were the men to whom modern philosophers owe the foundations of their knowledge. They left us the easier task to give new names and arrange the facts which they had brought to light. Well, I want to catch up. I had hoped you might give me advice. I am happy to have gained a disciple, and if your application equals your ability, I have no doubt of your success. Professor, so much had been done. More. Far more do I hope to achieve treading in the steps of those who have gone before me. I want to pioneer a new way. I wish to unfold to the world the deepest mysteries of creation. Come with me into my laboratory, Frankenstein. I want to show you my machines. Perhaps you might want to acquire your own. And I will write down a list of books for you to pick up as well. 
that day truly decided my future destiny. Two years passed while I poured myself into my studies and pursuing discoveries which I hoped to make. I paid no visit to Geneva. I became obsessed with the very principle of life. I told myself that the only thing holding us back from giving life to the lifeless was cowardice. Remember, Captain Walton, I am not recording the vision of a madman. Some miracle might have produced it, but the stages of my discovery were very distinct. After days and nights of incredible labor, I succeeded in discovering the cause of life. No, more. I became capable of animating lifeless matter. To examine the cause of life, we must first have access to death. I was well acquainted with anatomy, but I had to observe the natural decay of the human body. Here he comes, I told you. Every night, the same thing. At midnight, he slinks in, enters a different crypt, always mumbling to himself. <laughs> Can't imagine when he sleeps. Not your traditional grave robber, is he? No gold has been taken from any of the tombs he has entered. He leaves their jewels. What's he taking, then? Shh! Look. What's he got in that bag? You know you ought to report him to the authorities. <laughs> For what? Running off with someone's wormy leg? They're not using it anymore. Selling it to the medical school, do you think? Or what else? No. He's collecting a full body. <laughs> oh, come on. Let's get back to digging. I'm serious. Piece by piece. The eyes, hair, fingers, everything. All from different bodies. I'm sure of it. Come off it. I can't dig this hole all by myself. Oh, naturally. I could make him of a normal human structure. But bigger parts are easier to work with, so... A taller, larger creature will come together faster. And he will be beautiful. Proportionate. Every part must be perfect. Victor Frankenstein! Professor, you frightened me. I apologize for the interruption. You must be deep in your experiments. It's so nice to see you in the laboratory again. My boy, are you all right? You look so pale, your skin and bones. Are you sick? Nothing of the sort. I am merely involved in discovery. You should be able to understand that. Wonderful. Where are you working from? It's been so long since I've noticed you using my instruments. I've set myself up rather nicely in the attic of my apartment. I only stopped by to borrow... A well, this actually... I'll be going now. So soon? I was hoping you'd let me in on what you're working on. Could I bother you to stop by sometime this week? No, no, I am far too busy. I... No, no, not this week, and really, Professor, I must be going. Thank you. I will return the instrument in the same shape. Certainly, I understand, but please take care of yourself. Summer is nearly over, and it's been a beautiful season. Don't spend it all locked away in some attic. It was a dreary night of November that I beheld the accomplishment of my toils. With an anxiety that almost amounted to agony, I collected the instruments of life around me that I might infuse a spark of being into the lifeless thing that lay at my feet. 
It was already one in the morning. My candle was nearly burnt out. Creature, for years now you have been my one passion, my obsession. I have neglected my family, my friends, my life. If this shock brings you to life, none of that will have been in vain. It is time. Yes, yes, your eyes, they open. You breathe, you live. Oh, oh God. No, no, it's all wrong. You were supposed to be beautiful. You were supposed to be perfect. Horror. You're a monster. No. No, this is all wrong. No. Captain, I can hardly bear to describe the repulsive creature I had created. His yellow, shriveled skin barely covered my work of muscles and arteries beneath. His hair was shimmering black and flowing. His teeth, pearly white. But these only formed a more horrible contrast with his yellow eyes and his straight black lips. Unable to endure the aspect of the being I had created, I ran out of the room and back to my apartment. I threw myself on the bed, seeking a few moments of forgetfulness. I slept, but I was disturbed by dreams. I dreamt I saw Elizabeth in the bloom of health, walking the streets of Ingolstadt. I was delighted and surprised. I embraced her. But as I imprinted the first kiss on her lips, she began to change. She turned the color of death, and I thought I held the corpse of my dead mother in my arms. And I saw grave worms crawling in the folds of her dress. When I awoke in a fever sweat, my eyes adjusted to the moonlight. There... Looking down at me stood the miserable monster. He grinned and his jaws opened. His hand reached out, but I escaped. I passed the night pacing the streets. When the sun rose, I found myself passing the front of an inn. A switched coach had stopped, and as the door opened, Henry Clerval sprung out. My dear Frankenstein, how glad am I to see you. How fortunate that you should be here at the very moment of my arrival. Can this be a dream? My friend, I am so happy you're here more than you'll ever understand. Walk with me to my apartment, please. I finally persuaded my father that there is more to learn than just the noble art of bookkeeping. He's allowed me to attend the university. Please tell me, how are my father, my brothers, and Elizabeth? Very well. Only a little uneasy that they don't hear from you. As long as I'm here, I have to lecture you a little for them. But, my dear Frankenstein, I, I haven't said anything about how very ill you appear. It looks like you haven't slept in days. I haven't. I've been so deeply committed to one thing lately. But that is, I hope, at an end now and I am free. Here we are. This is my place. I'm just up a floor. Actually, I must ask you to stay here for a few minutes. Why on earth for? You know you needn't hide a messy room from me. Yes, <laughs> yes, just want to uh, shove a few things under the bed, that's all. Won't take a moment. 
Empty. Gone. Come on up, Henry. <laughs> gone. <laughs> He's gone. Vanished. I'm glad to see you're so happy I'm here. But I'm worried about you. <laughs> My dear Victor, for God's sake, what is the matter? Don't laugh like that. How sick you are. What is the My matter friend. with you? Henry, I, I see him everywhere. My apartment is empty, but he lurks in every corner. Save me. Save me. My poor friend, you, you're shaking with fever. What, what has happened to you? With Henry Clerville as my nurse, I recovered. But it took many months. By the time my gloom and fever ended, it was spring. Dearest Henry, how shall I ever repay you for these months of care? You should have spent this whole winter in study as you promised yourself. You can repay me by getting well as fast as you can and responding to one of these letters from your father and cousin. You will be glad to see the latest one. My dearest cousin, you have been ill, very ill, and even the constant letters from Henry are not enough to reassure me on your account. You are forbidden to write, to hold a pen, oh, yet... Oh, her letters are so sweet, so special to me right now. She, of course, takes the time to tell me of the children, and of Justine and the other servants. Baby William is six years old now, with dimples. Can you imagine? I will write her back instantly, but I won't go back to Geneva right away. I owe it to you, Henry, to take care of you for a while. I can introduce you to all the professors and we can set you up here in this apartment. Summer passed quickly. I was distracted with my new roommate and our occupations. I was supposed to return to Geneva in late autumn, but winter and snow arrived early and the roads were made impassable. It was May, and I was awaiting a letter from home that was to make my return date official. It was then that Henry proposed a trip through Germany to bid a personal farewell to the country I had been in so long. By the time he returned from our travel, another month had passed. Peasants dancing on the street, as if the whole town knew we would return today. Didn't it seem as if every person you passed was smiling? I think I am as happy as they are. The happiest I've been in in as long as I can remember. And here is a letter from Father confirming my return date. I didn't think the day could get better. My dear Victor, you must have been waiting impatiently for a letter to fix the date of your return to us. And I was at first tempted to write only a few lines. But that would be a cruel kindness. How can I relate our misfortune? I wish to prepare you for the news, but I know it is impossible. William is dead. That sweet child, your brother, our youngest darling, whose smiles delighted and warmed my heart. Victor, he was murdered. I set off to return home immediately. Some days later I arrived at Geneva at dark and the gates of the town were already shut. I wandered around the outskirts of the town that night, watching as a storm hovered over a nearby lake. It was then that I saw him. A flash of lightning illuminated the shape plainly to me, its gigantic stature and the deformity of the demon whom I had given life. As soon as I saw him I knew the truth. I was convinced. He was the murderer. 
He murdered my brother. Two years had now nearly passed since the night on which he first received life, and was this his first crime? At dawn, I quickly walked through the open gates and entered my father's house. Welcome home, Victor. Ernest, little brother, you're all grown up. It's been six years since you've been home, and how I wish you'd had come three months ago when we were happy. I hope you'll be able to convince poor Elizabeth to stop her self-torment. She blames herself for the death of our brother. Tell me how it happened, Ernest. We went on a walk out of town that evening. Father, Elizabeth, William, and I. William and I had started to play off on our own, hide and seek. But the last time, I couldn't find him. When I found Father and Elizabeth, they had not seen him. We looked and we looked until dark. Elizabeth thought he might have returned home, but he wasn't there either. We went back with our torches, but it wasn't until dawn that Father found him. Oh, Victor, it was terrible. He was stretched out on the grass, frozen with the murderer's fingerprints on his neck. Poor boy. When Elizabeth saw him, she threw herself on him. She said she had let William wear a very valuable locket with Mother's picture inside. She was sure William was killed because the murderer wanted that locket. She claimed she had murdered her child, but now that the murderer has been discovered... Discovered? How can that be? Who could catch him? It is impossible. He was free last night. And Elizabeth still is not convinced despite the evidence. Understandably, of course. Who would have ever thought lovable Justine Mortz could be capable of such an appalling crime? Justine! Is she accused? It can't be. Everyone knows that, Ernest. Tell me no one believes it. Not at first. But then some of the other servants took evidence to the judge. You see, Justine was missing the whole night before, and one of the servants found the locket with the picture of Mother in Justine's dress pocket. You are all mistaken. I know the murderer. Justine. Poor, good Justine is innocent. Father! Victor says he knows who murdered William. We do too, unfortunately. I had rather been ignorant of it. To discover so much evil in one I loved. My dear father, you are mistaken. Justine is innocent. If she is, God forbid that she be convicted. Her trial is today. I hope she will be freed. Is that my cousin's voice? Oh, my dear Victor. We've lost our darling boy, and now Justine... If she's condemned, I will never be happy again. But she can't be. She is innocent, my Elizabeth. Everyone else believes she's guilty, and it is tearing me apart. Denise, don't cry. If she is innocent, have faith in our justice system. Quiet in the court. We will now hear from the accused, Justine Moritz. Solemn as I have ever seen her. But look at her carry herself with courage and confidence, Elizabeth. She is innocent, and she must fight for it. Oh, Victor, she's looking at us, and now she has teary eyes. Oh, my heart is breaking. Justine Moritz, the last witness, a servant in the Frankenstein household, claimed you were out all night of May 7th. When asked where you had been all night, you claimed you had been out looking for the child. They showed you the body, and you fell into violent hysterics and fell ill for several days. When that servant went to wash the clothes you wore that night, she found a gold locket with the likeness of the late Caroline Frankenstein. And we have heard from Elizabeth Lavenza, who attests that that was indeed the locket that she had put around William Frankenstein's neck the day he went missing. Now you have a moment to defend these actions. God knows how entirely I am innocent, but I do not pretend that God can acquit me. I rest my innocence on a plain and simple explanation of the facts which have been brought against me as evidence. I am hopeful that my character will help the judges decipher any of those circumstances that may seem suspicious. 
on May 7th, I had been given permission by Elizabeth Lavenza, the lady of the house, to spend the evening at my aunt's in Chennai, about an hour's walk from home. When I was on my way home, a man stopped me and asked me if I had heard about a little boy who was lost. When he told me it was William, I started to search for him. William was so precious to me, to all of us in the Frankenstein household. It was hours that I looked for him, far past dark. So when I went to the gates to return home, they were locked. I found a barn nearby and I stopped to rest. I didn't intend to sleep, but I did, until some footsteps woke me. It was morning by then and I went home. When they showed me William, I couldn't. I was so devastated, I was shocked. Justine Moritz, you have yet to explain the locket. How was it to come into your possession? I know how heavily this one piece of evidence weighs against my innocence, but I have no way to explain it. Since I am completely ignorant as to how it came to be in my pocket, I can only guess. Did the murderer put it there? I can't believe I have any enemies on Earth that would want to destroy me. You truly have no explanation for this evidence against you. I commit my cause to the justice of my judges. I believed in her innocence. I knew it. Could the demon creature have not only murdered my brother, but set Justine up for hellish sport? I couldn't sleep that night, and in the morning I returned to the court along with Elizabeth. We are here as to inquire. The verdict of Justine Moritz, yes. She has been condemned. She has confessed. Confessed? Surely that can't be. She has. Though it wasn't needed to decide the case, I am glad of it. No judges like to condemn a criminal upon circumstantial evidence, even if it is so decisive. How shall I ever believe in human goodness? Justine, who I loved as my sister, how could she betray me? I really thought she was incapable of anything so evil. She wishes to see you, Elizabeth. She requested it this morning before you came. Yes, I will go. Victor, you will come with me. I cannot go alone. Elizabeth? Oh, Justine, I was relying on your innocence. I was miserable before, but now I... Uh, do you also believe I am so wicked? Do you join my enemies to crush me, to call me a murderer? I am not your enemy. I believe you were innocent until I heard you had confessed. If you say that you haven't confessed, then I believe you, and nothing will convince me you are guilty. I did confess, but I confessed a lie. I confessed because the priest threatened me. He said I must confess, so I was not damned to hell. Oh, Elizabeth, he almost had me convinced that I was the monster that he said I was. I had no one to support me. I thought everyone, even you, believed I was capable of a crime that only the devil himself could have done. What could I do? Soon, dear William and I will be reunited. I'm going to be executed. Oh, Justine, please forgive me for even one moment distrusting you. Please do not cry. Do not fear. I will prove your innocence. I will melt the hearts of your enemies. You shall not die. I don't fear death. I leave a sad and bitter world. Victor Frankenstein, you are very kind to visit me. I hope you do not believe I'm guilty. No, Justine, he is even more convinced of your innocence than I was. In these last moments, I am most thankful to those who think of me with kindness. I feel as if I could die in peace knowing now that my innocence is known to you both. Goodbye, sweet lady. 
May this be the last misfortune you will ever suffer. Please live and be happy and make others happy. And the next day, she was hanged. Here I was, the true murderer, the reason for all the griefs of my family and the death of two innocents, the first doomed victims to my ambitions. We will be right back to our special Halloween production of Frankenstein. But first, a word from one of our sponsors. Oh no, Tommy, that was a close one. I know! Sorry, Mommy! I should have looked both ways before I crossed the street! Hey, kid! Are you alright? Sorry I didn't see you there. It's so dark out, I've almost hit two trick-or-treaters tonight. Lucky I got my brakes checked at Hal Paisley's. Hal Paisley's? I thought they were a hardware store. You gotta be kidding me! Hal Paisley's is a hardware store and so much more. They can repair your automobile, and they've got a candy counter, too! Can we go there, Mommy? Please? Please? Hal Paisley's is so much more than a hardware store. Stop by tonight to pick up free reflective beads at the candy counter. They reflect light so that your kids don't get hit by any flying witches this Halloween. Hal Paisley! You gotta be kidding me! Now, back to KBRT's production of Frankenstein. My sorrowful family home, paired with my gut-wrenching guilt, sent me wandering the alpine valleys. I traveled on mule far into the mountains, until one rainy morning I came upon a mountain I had climbed many times before in my boyhood. Hopeful, the view from the top of the mountain would bring me out of my sadness. I left my mule at the mountain base and resolved to journey to the summit. It was nearly noon by the time I arrived at the top. Looking out on the stupendous scene, the ice glittering on the mountain peaks, my sad heart swelled with something like joy. Wandering spirits, allow me this faint happiness, or take me away from the joys of life forever. Spirits, what is that? Something running, someone running right at me. Too large to be human. It's you! Monster! Devil! Dare you approach me? Do you not fear my revenge? Are you not afraid I will tear you apart? Trample you to dust? You! Murderer! I expected this reception. It is no surprise that you hate me. I am the most miserable of all living things. Even my creator hates me. Your creature, you want to kill me. Don't you wish to know why I have followed you up this mountain? I abhor you. The, the torture of hell is too mild a revenge for the crimes you have committed. Do your duty to me. If you refuse to comply with my conditions, I will kill again. My duty? My duty is to now end the life of the monster I so callously created. Ah! Be calm! Haven't I suffered enough? Remember, Frankenstein, you made me more powerful than yourself. Yet I don't wish to fight you. I am your creature. 
I will be your servant if you give me what I wish. I ought to be your Adam, but I am rather the fallen angel. Everywhere I go, I see happiness, bliss. I alone am excluded. I was good. I was kind. Misery made me a villain. Make me happy, and I will be good again. Be gone. I will not hear you. There can be no relationship between us. We are enemies. Be gone, or let us see who is more powerful in a fight to the death. How can I appeal to you? I am asking for your compassion. Believe me, Frankenstein, my soul glowed with love and humanity, but I am alone. You made me frightful. Your creatures hate me. I am miserable, and why should I not want all of mankind to share in my misery? Why should I not hate those that hate me? Listen to me, Frankenstein. And then after you have, then, if you can, destroy the work of your hands. I curse the day in which you first saw light. I curse my own hands that made you. I demand you listen to me. You will come with me to my hut in my cave. Sit with me next to the fire. You can hear my story and then decide whether you will agree to my terms. All my original days of life appear confused and indistinct. It is difficult for me to remember my first moments. A strange variety of sensations seized me. I saw, felt, heard, and smelt all at the same time. I put on a coat for warmth and stumbled around in the dark until morning. I arrived at a village. The first hut I entered, an old man was preparing breakfast. Oh, oh! And he ran away. The next hut I entered, I hardly had placed my foot within the door before the children began to scream. <coughs> and one of the women fainted. The whole village then came and attacked me with stones and other weapons. I ran until I found a crudely built structure attached to a larger cottage, and so I crawled into that hovel to hide. There was a small hole which I could peep through that peered inside the cottage. The inhabitants of the household included a young girl and her brother, and an old blind man who was their father. I was charmed by them and their gentleness. The father played an instrument, and at night the brother would read aloud to the old man, and the young woman would listen to the music or reading, but they were not entirely happy. They often wept, and soon I realized that it was due to poverty. I wanted to help them. So at night, I would take the young man's tools and chop wood to supply the woodpile. It was there in my hovel that I learned to mimic and understand their method of communication. I learned to read using books I found. Then another time I found papers left in the coat taken from your lab. It was your journal. Those papers described my creation. As I read your writings and watched these humans, I found myself similar yet so unlike these beings. I sympathized with and partly understood them. But unlike them, I was dependent on none and related to none. Where were my friends and relations? 
I had never seen anyone who resembled me. I needed affection. My heart wanted to be known and loved by the amiable creatures in the cottage. I decided the best way to do that was to wait until I could approach the blind man alone. A day came when his children left on a walk, and I knew this was the moment. Who is there? Come in! Please pardon my intrusion. I am a traveler in need of rest. If you would be so kind to let me rest a few moments before your fire... You may enter. I will try to help you, but since I am blind, I'm afraid I cannot get food for you. Do not trouble yourself, please. I have food. It is warmth and rest that I need. Where do you travel, friend? I am on my way to ask for the protection of friends whom I sincerely love. I am alone in this world. I have no relation or friend here. These friends I go to have never seen me. I am afraid if they do not accept me, I will be outcast in the world forever. Do not be afraid. The hearts of men are full of brotherly love and charity. If these people are good, you have nothing to fear. They are good and kind. They are the best creatures in the world, but they are prejudiced against me. If your friends are near, maybe I can help you. May I know the names of these friends? Father, we're home. You and your family are the friends. Save me! Protect Great me! Great God! Who are you? Father! Get away! Beast! Monster! Get away! Get out of here! My only chance to have friends. And they screamed, fainted, and attacked me when they saw me. So I returned to my helpless wanderings. There was a day I saved a little girl who had fallen into a deep river. I dragged her to shore. She was senseless. When a hunter saw me trying to revive her, he raised his gun and fired a bullet into me. That was my reward for kindness. It was then, as I endured the miserable pain of my wound, that I vowed eternal hatred and vengeance to all mankind. After I healed, my journey led me to the outskirts of Geneva. I was sleeping when the noise of a child woke me. As I gazed at this beautiful child, I had an idea. This little creature has not lived long enough to be prejudiced to me. And so, if I could take him and educate him as my friend, I would not be alone anymore. I grabbed him. Help! Child, why do you Let scream? Go, you I am not going to you hurt you. To Listen me. to me. Boy, you will never see your father again. You are coming no, with me. ugly monster! My papa is Mr. Frankenstein. He will punish you. He will kill you. Frankenstein! You belong to my enemy. You will be my first victim. I grabbed the boy's throat to silence him, and in a moment he was dead. I saw the locket around his throat and stole it. When I came across beautiful Justine asleep, I left the locket with her. I have watched you and your family, Victor Frankenstein. I will not let you go until you agree to my trade. I am alone and miserable. The only one who would associate with me must be as deformed and horrible as myself. This being you must create. You must create a female for me. One who I can live with. No, I refuse. No torture will make me agree. Why should I create another so your joint wickedness might destroy the world? 
If you do not do this for me, I will destroy you. You will curse the hour of your birth. However, if you consent, no human being will ever see us again. You swear to be harmless, to live in exile? How can I trust you? I will quit Europe forever. I will quit every other place in the neighborhood of man. I demand an answer. I will consent if, and only if, this is your promise. I swear you will never see me again once she exists. Go now and start your work. I will be watching. So I consented. You left me and I returned to Geneva. I knew I could not work there amongst my family and neighbors. So I decided to visit England, pretending it was going to be a vacation of pleasure. Without asking me, Elizabeth asked Henry Clerval to join me. It was winter by the time we first saw the white cliffs of Britain. Henry was thrilled by the travel, forever busy. I often refused to accompany him on his sightseeing so that I might remain alone. It was then that I began to collect the materials for my new creation. By spring, our journey then took us north to Scotland. I had now neglected my promise for some time, and I feared the effects of the demon's disappointment. He might remain in Switzerland and hurt my relatives. This idea tormented me at every moment. I knew I would have to go on alone. I could pass my life here, among these mountains. To travel is to live, to enjoy your own existence. Henry, please, let me take the rest of the tour of Scotland alone. Enjoy yourself, do you? And let this be our rendezvous point. I may be gone a month or two, but please, leave me to peace and solitude for a short time. I would rather be with you in your solitary rambling than here with these Scots people that I don't know. Please, Henry. When I return, I hope it will be with a lighter heart, more like your own. Come back to me soon, my friend, so I can feel at home again. I left Henry, and I traveled far into the highlands, and onto a remote Orkney island to work. I rented one of the huts. There was only three on the whole island, and I turned it into my dreadful laboratory. After several weeks, I knew she was ready. As I looked down at my creation, I reflected on the effect of what I was about to do. Three years before, I was engaged in the same manner and had created a fiend whose barbarity had destroyed my heart and filled it forever with bitterness. Had I the right to put humanity at risk again for my own benefit? The wickedness of my promise burst in me. Just as I trembled at the thought, I looked up, and there he was. The demon in the moonlight staring at me from the doorway. Yes, he had followed me. A terrifying grin passed over his face. Then, Captain, my madness overtook me. The idea of creating another like him, my hands shook as I reached down and I tore the new creation to pieces. You have destroyed her! Do you dare break your promise? Be gone, wretch. Never will I create another like you, equally deformed and wicked. Slave, before I reasoned with you, but you have proved yourself unworthy. Your threats will not move me to do an act of evil. Shall I set loose another demon onto this earth? Your words will only increase my rage. You may hate, but beware. 
Your hours will pass in dread and misery. I am fearless and therefore powerful. I have nothing to lose. It is you who will be sorry. Devil, leave me. I declared my resolution. I am not a coward, and I will not bend to your threats. Very well. But remember, Victor Frankenstein, I will be with you on your wedding night. Thank you for tuning in tonight to our radio drama production of Frankenstein. We'll be right back after this sponsored message. <laughs> I've been waiting for you. I've been wanting to tell you about the Dougal Organ Store. If you've been craving an extra plump heart or kidney... Um, Mr. Vampire, sir? What? It's Dougal Music Warehouse? They sell pipe organs, not human organs. What? It's Dougal, Dougal, the music warehouse for all your instruments needs. There's pianos, guitars, organs, and strings. And brass, drums, and woodwinds, too! So where do I go to buy a harp? To get your Dougal Music Warehouse free catalog, just send a postcard to Dougal Music Warehouse, 4561 Cliffway Drive in Danvers, Nebraska. And now we return to Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. After the monster's departure, I set off to leave the island. I had to face the wreckage of my instruments and the fleshy pieces of the creature. I put all the relics of my horrific practice in a basket. That night, between two and three in the morning, I sailed out about four miles from the shore to bury it. As I watched the heavy basket sink to the bottom of the waves, I felt a deep peace. I did not know when I fell asleep, but when I woke, the sun was up and I was lost at sea. I spent the entire day fighting my thirst and attempting to steer my little craft. At sunset, I saw a line of highland toward the south. Look over here, Colleen. A boat's coming to our shore. Could it be? Daniel, come see. There's a man coming ashore. Daniel, didn't you swear just before my husband tripped, you saw a boat with a single man in it? Yes, that boat that is coming to shore. It must be. And I told the judge, too. I was staring out my door out at the sea. And right there, right off the shore, in the same place you found it, I saw a man in a boat push off. Mrs. Walsh? Mrs. Walsh? Is that the man they're looking for? Someone ought to alert the judge. I'll go, but don't you three let him get away. Hello, my good friends. Will you be so kind to tell me the name of this town and inform me of where I am? You will know soon enough. I'm sorry. I don't think you'll find this place to be to your taste, but you'll not have much of a say in your accommodations. Why speak to me like this? Surely it is not the custom of Englishmen to receive strangers so inhospitably. We do not know what the custom of the English may be, but it is the custom of the Irish to hate villains. Come, sir. You must follow me to Mr. Kerwin's to give a testimony. Who is Mr. Kerwin? Why do I have to give a testimony? Is this not a free country? Aye, free enough for honest folk. Mr. Kerwin is a judge, and you are to give an account of death of a gentleman who was found murdered here last night. And so, Mr. Frankenstein, I will quickly summarize the testimonies of the witnesses to give you a clear picture of the charges against you. Tom Ryan and Daniel Nugent were returning from a fishing voyage and put in for port about 10 o'clock, docking at a creek about two miles below the harbor. Mr. Nugent looked out as they docked to see another boat with a single man in it a short distance from the shore. As Mr. Ryan exited the boat, he struck his foot on something and fell to the ground. 
Upon further examination, the two witnesses saw that it was the body of a man, about five and twenty years of age. The body was not yet cold. There was no sign of violence except a bruise on his neck, pointing the cause of death at strangulation. Strangulation? Mr. Frankenstein, I suggest you watch your mannerisms. You're shaking. Officers, help him stand. I can assure you, magistrates, that at the time of the body being found, I was on land on an island in the Orkneys. At this time, I desire to have Mr. Frankenstein see the body of the young man. Officer, bring Mr. Frankenstein up here close to the coffin. Open the lid, Mr. Frankenstein. No. No. Henry. I have killed you, Henry. Have my murderous schemes deprived you also? Get him off that body! Get him out you of here! You I have already destroyed. Other victims await their destiny. You, Henry, my friend. Get him out of here! I have murdered you all. William, Justine, Henry. Please, now, sir, be still. he murders me. He is coming for me next. I can already feel his hands on my Let neck. Let go of me! Be still, breathe. you maniac! Get that He's man out of this courtroom! Help me! I've been here. Two months you have laid there with fever. Fever and madness. Screaming insanities like a loony echoing through this dungeon, asking me to help you find some demon. Are you better now, sir? I believe I am. But if I did not dream up this misery and horror, why did I not die? As miserable as I was, why did I not sink into forgetfulness and rest? If you mean the gentleman you murdered, I believe it would be better for you if you were dead, for I fancy they'll be hard on you. However, that's none of my business. I am sent to nurse you, and I do my duty with a conscience. If only everyone were so good. For that matter, it's time for your medicine. The Lord knows they'll probably hang you very soon, but it's my job to get you to the gallows alive. That's enough now, nurse. Oh! Yes, sir, it's the judge, sir. I'll leave you to him. I fear that this place is very shocking to you. Can I do anything to make you more comfortable? I thank you. But there is no comfort on earth that I can receive. I hope what I have to say can help you break from your melancholy. There is evidence that will free you from this criminal charge. That is my least concern. Due to a strange course of events, I am the most miserable of mortals. Nothing could be more unfortunate than the strange chances that have occurred to you. You were thrown by some surprising accident on this shore, seized immediately and charged with murder. The first sight presented to your eyes was the body of your friend, murdered, placed by some fiend across your path. How do you know all that? Immediately upon you being taken ill, all the papers on your person were brought to me. I found a letter from your family and wrote to them. And someone, a friend, has come to visit you. Oh no, no, take him away. I cannot see him. For God's sake, do not let him enter. I should have thought, young man, the presence of your father would have been welcome. My father, are you then safe? And Elizabeth, and Ernest? What a place is this that you are in, my son. You traveled to seek happiness, but death and sadness followed you, and poor Henry Clerval. Some destiny of the most horrible kind hangs over me, and I must live to fulfill it, or else I should have died on Henry's coffin. The grand jury acquitted me after it was proved that I was on the Orkney Islands at the hour the body of my friend was found. 
I recovered from my illness and sailed back to Geneva. One duty remained to me, to return to my loved ones and lie in wait for the murderer and to put an end to the existence of my monstrous creation. My poor dear cousin, you are home! How much you must have suffered! Elizabeth, I... Please, let me say something. I tried to write it so many times, and this winter was torture, anxiously waiting to speak to you. I never had the courage to express it on paper. You know well, Victor, that our union has been the plan of our parents ever since we were babies. We were such affectionate playmates during childhood, and I believe dear and valued friends to one another as we grew older. But as a sister and brother have affection towards each other without desiring intimacy, what if that is our case? Tell me, Victor... Answer me, I'm asking for our mutual happiness. I need the truth. Do you love another? I fear, my beloved girl, little happiness remains for us on earth. And yet, any happiness I may one day enjoy is completely centered in you. Please, chase away these fears. It is you, Elizabeth, and only you I wish to dedicate my life to. You are my treasure, sweet Elizabeth. I would die to make you happy. I wish for us to be married immediately. I don't want to wait another hour. So it wasn't me that was causing your melancholy? You weren't keeping someone a secret? I have one secret, Elizabeth. A dreadful one. When I reveal it to you, it will chill you with horror. But I cannot tell you now. I will confide this tale of misery and terror to you the day after our marriage. Let the day of my wedding to you be set. I will devote myself in life or death to our happiness. Here we are, my sweet. Villa Lavenza. Our first days of happiness will be spent right here, next to this beautiful lake. But you are sorrowful, my love. If you knew what I have suffered, you would let me taste the quiet and freedom from despair that this one day, our wedding day, permits me. Be happy, my dear Victor. There is, I hope, nothing to distress you. Please be assured that if lively joy is not painted on my face, my heart is content. Something whispers to me, but I will not listen to such a sinister voice. What a divine day! How happy all nature appears! What was that? What is it that agitates you, my darling? What is your fear? Peace, peace, my love. After this night, all will be safe. A storm, Victor, like so many thunderstorms from our childhood. Thunderstorms rolling in over the mountains. Do you remember? It seems so perfect. It would start to rain now. Do you remember the storm that broke the tree? Tore it into ribbons and they lay all over the yard the next morning. Oh, I'm getting a chill. Should we go in now, Victor? You go ahead, darling. I will stay out for a bit. I just wish to walk the grounds once before bed. She left me to go inside. I circled the grounds, inspected every corner that the monster might have retreated in. Then, the whole truth rushed into my mind. I could feel the blood trickling in my veins. The motion of every fiber of my body was suspended. I ran into the room. Great God, why did I not die right then? Captain, why am I here telling you this story and the purest creature on earth laid there? Roan across the bed, her head hanging down and her distorted face covered by her hair. Everywhere I turn, I see the same figure. 
her bloodless arms and relaxed form flung by the murderer onto her bridal bed. The murderous mark of the fiend's grasp on her neck, and by my word, Captain Walton, there he stood at the window, the hideous figure pointing down at the corpse of my wife, a grin on his face. I drew my pistol. He eluded me. He ran swifter than lightning into the lake. Why should I dwell on the remaining incidents that followed? Mine has been a tale of horrors. My own strength is exhausted, and I must tell in as few words as possible what remains of my hideous narration. When I arrived back at Geneva, my father was still alive, but the shock of the news of Elizabeth's death sent him to a bed that he never got out of, and he died a few days later in my arms. I knew I must leave Geneva and its memories forever. I went to say my goodbyes at the cemetery where William, Elizabeth, and my father lie. By the sacred earth on which I kneel, I swear to pursue the demon who caused this misery until he or I shall perish in mortal combat. For this purpose only I will stay alive, to execute this revenge. I call on you, spirits of the dead, to aid and conduct me in my work. Let the cursed and hellish monster drink deep in agony. Let him feel the despair that now torments me. <laughs> I am satisfied, you miserable fool. You have determined to live, and I am satisfied. <laughs> he fled with more than mortal speed. I pursued him, and for many months this has been my task. Guided by a slight clue, I followed the windings of the Rhone, the blue Mediterranean, the Black Sea, all in vain. Amidst the wilds of Russia, he evaded me. What his feelings were about being pursued, I don't know. Sometimes he left marks and writing on trees or stones that guided me and instigated my fury. My reign is not yet over. You live and my power is complete. <laughs> Follow me. I seek the everlasting ices of the north where you will feel the misery of cold and frost. Come, my enemy, we have yet to wrestle for our lives. <laughs> Prepare, your toils only begin. Wrap yourself in furs, for soon we shall enter upon a journey where your sufferings will satisfy my everlasting hatred. <laughs> <laughs> and so, that is how I ended here. When will my guiding spirit, in leading me to the demon, allow me the rest I need? Or must I die, and he yet live? If I do, swear to me, Walton, that he shall not escape, that you will seek him and satisfy my vengeance in his death. Call on the names of William, Justine, Henry, Elizabeth, my father, and of the wretched Victor, and thrust your sword into his heart. I will hover near 
and direct the steel. The ice. It is breaking. The South Passage is free. Why do the sailors yell? They shout because they will soon return to England. Have you really decided to return? I would rather die than return shamefully. Yet I fear that will be our fate if we continue north. I cannot lead them unwillingly to danger. We must return. Do so if you will. But I will not. My purpose is assigned to me by heaven. I am weak. But surely my spirits will endow me with sufficient strength. My friend, I have sat here and listened to you over the course of a week tell your blood-curdling story. Every day I have seen a feverish fire ignite in your eyes. You exert yourself too much, and you fall back down into bed exhausted. I worry for your health. From my infancy I was filled with high hopes and lofty ambition. But now I am sunk. My friend, if you had known me as I once was, you would not recognize me in this state of degradation. Must I lose you? I have longed for a friend. On these desert seas I have found one. But I fear I have only gained you to lose you. Is there anything I can do? I thank you, Walton, for your kind intentions in these last moments. The strength I rely on is gone. I feel that I will soon die and my enemy will live. This hour, which I expect to be my last, is the only happy one which I have enjoyed for several years. Farewell, Walton. Seek happiness in tranquility and avoid ambition. My friend, Victor, have I lost you? Captain, the ice to the south has broke free. Captain, do we have a command? Avoid ambition. Great God! Can it be you, demon? It has ended. I came to see my last victim. In his murder, my crimes are complete. You seem to know of me. Does it mean anything that I now ask you to pardon me? He is cold. He cannot answer me. Your forgiveness is now superfluous. If you had listened to the voice of conscience, if you had thought of the potential remorse you would feel before you committed your evil acts, Frankenstein would still be alive. And do you dare think that I was dead to agony and remorse? He did not suffer the ten-thousandth fraction of the anguish that was mine. Do you think the groans of the murdered were music to my ears? Wretch! You come here to whine over the desolation you have made. You throw a torch into a pile of buildings, and when they are consumed, you sit among the ruins and lament the fall. It is not pity you feel. You lament only because you have no power over your victim anymore. I do not ask for you to understand. I know I will never find any sympathy. At first, all I wanted was to participate in the feelings of happiness and affection with others. But all of that has turned into bitter despair. The fallen angel becomes the wicked devil. Yet even the devil has associates. I am alone. It is true that I am a wretch. I have murdered the lovely and helpless. I have strangled the innocent as they slept. 
grasped to death the throats of those who never injured me or any other living thing. I have devoted myself to the misery of my Creator. There he lies, white and cold in death. You hate me, but your hate of me is nothing compared to the hatred I feel toward myself, polluted by crimes and torn by regret. Where can I find rest but in death? Farewell. I will leave you and all of humankind. Farewell, Frankenstein. My spirit will sleep in peace. Farewell. And so, the creature sprang from the cabin window, tore away into the sea, lost in the darkness and distance, never to be seen again. I want to thank you all for listening to KBRT's special Halloween broadcast. Tune in again this December for our Christmas tradition of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And so we leave you tonight, listeners. You can blow out the candle and go to sleep now, if you can. Just don't forget to check under the bed. Good night. <laughs>